Welcome to the Yang Gang Roundtable Podcast, a discussion of electoral politics and the Yang Gang community's independent ongoing effort to win the United States UBI, featuring multiple speakers, each of a different political ideology, but all Yang Gang. Every week, multiple groups of five respond to a new set of prompts, and new episodes happen as many times a week as we have groups. Our goal is 10, but right now we are starting with Group A. I am your host, Shale Riley. This is the first time that I have met these great Yang Gang people that you're going to be hearing from in a moment, and I had just turned on Craig, a recording bot, in our Discord. So without further ado, this is what happened when we got together for the first time. Like, like, hey, it's Craig. He's cool. recording. Welcome to the the thing. All right, Hello, I'm not going to give a formal person. introduction. Hello, is that a bot or is that an actual person? This is a bot. This is a the oh. sub inaugural episode of the Yang Gang Roundtable Podcast or the UBI Roundtable Podcast, which I think we may be nice. calling it now. I don't know. We're still figuring it out. Craig but, is uh, a job that's case, being automated. Just in case <laughs> this ends up being listened to by someone, is Craig taking jobs? Early. Craig is a bot. I mean, Craig is taking the job of what I could do, an audio engineer, in a way. <laughs> I mean, uh, Craig makes it easier for us to coordinate this. Yeah, if you that, for that, Craig, that, that's to, yeah, right. That's what that's what's all about. That that's why it's so stupid when like you know people are pissed that robots are taking jobs it's like if it's a job that i didn't want to do and it was pretty boring like i don't care but just like like what if people pay taxes robots should pay taxes too robots don't need to like eat and sleep and pay rent so why not just take their money and give it to us <laughs> robots also the don't need that. to buy clothing or pay oh. for medical care or yeah yeah, yeah. So let me, so let me why, just introduce why, each why should, really quickly. You know, you know, but but so, but you see the, the problem now, you're, is... you're Ariel. I want to just yeah. before you go on, you're, this is your Ariel Bakshanda. 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 Okay, let's go. Let's, you know what? I don't know why I didn't even need to read your last name, but I did. <laughs> so yeah. we'll call you. Yeah, thank you, um, Ariel. No We're just going to use first names here. Um, cool. Jacqueline is here. She hasn't said anything yet. I don't know if her mic is working. I hope it no, is. No, no, she has. I heard her. Has she? Okay, good. Good. Um, maybe she's been idle for a minute. Mia, hello? That's me. Hi. 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 I'm so Shale. So do you pronounce that Mia? Mm. Yes, it is Mia. Just Mia. Mia, songbird. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, the wandering unicorn, I like. Do I call you unicorn? Uh, that works. My, my name name is Elizabeth, but okay. if anybody knows me by anything, it's going to be the wandering unicorn. So. All right. So we'll go with unicorn. <laughs> I like it. Okay, that's good. Um, unless Liz makes you more comfortable, or Elizabeth, or whatever. Uh, yeah, we'll figure it out. <laughs> Unicorn works. I haven't done it much in use that uh, much as a name in voice chat, but it's chat chat what they use. So, now, do you I'm, think I'm if fine. I'm trying to pitch this to an academic institution, I say, yeah, give fifty of us, you know, like thirteen hundred dollars gross, so it'll be like a net one thousand dollars, so we can live the Andrew Yang dream. That we didn't get the whole country to live, so we can. Uh, yeah, like like be a proof of concept. If I go to them, is like, hold on, buddy, it, hold on, yeah. hold on. <laughs> I'm sorry, if I am doing this, and I if I go to an academic institution and I say, hey, this is my podcast. Uh, please listen to my my speakers. We're UBI advocates, and we have different ideologies, and we're very serious. If I call one of them unicorn, is that person gonna <laughs> like? No, I'm not gonna give you a dime. Get out of here. That is fair. Well, cool? I don't know. I mean, like, I, I would know. hope it, it wouldn't matter. Maybe just uni? That, 
about corn? Corn. <laughs> corn. Corny corn corn. You know, this touches on something I'd like to address one of these days at, at the podcast, and that is one of the things I think we're up against as UBI advocates is the deeply entrenched problem of classism, which, you know, the credentialism, which you've just described, is a huge part of that. Agreed. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I like, it shouldn't matter, but there is a chance on. that it would. Yeah. For the audience, um, could you describe what credentialism is? Credentialism is the automatic conferring of authority uh, to those who had the ability to afford to go to attend college and not mm-hmm. just any college, but the right college, you know, Stanford, yes. exactly. you know. And, yeah, yeah. And that creates, you know, people that know they don't really have the expertise that their livelihood right. demands they pretend to have. So they get paranoid, they get anxious, and they feel like they have to present a very serious front. So that what they do to do that is when they see a proposal where one of the speakers is called unicorn, they go, no, I'm a serious person and I won't be involved. Right. Or, yes. you, you know, you know, what's like funny, like if all these pundits are such experts, then why is our country in such a shitter right now? <laughs> like they're you, experts you know, in all the wrong things to be clear. Yep. Right. Well, yeah. It, it's I mean, like, that's I'll, a good if, you're su- if you're such an e- expert, why the hell are you always getting things wrong and things are always getting worse? Because the test, the test of a pundit's uh, measure is not <sighs> valid right now. The test right. is the market. Does the does the pundit produce money for themselves and their owners and the, right. their own even, even if their predictions are all wrong? Right, that's disconnected like, from their actual right, that, prediction value. Well, you know, it's about how they can it, market themselves. It leads right. to one of my favorite expressions, which is the definition of an expert. The definition of an expert is um, someone who has been educated beyond their intellectual capacity wow <laughs> right yeah that's unbelievable I, I mean i mean i mean it's 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 such a like like we're it's like we're living in an academicocracy that's even a word oh there is <laughs> like, a word for that there actually is a word for that it's on the there is because we almost like, went that direction um, like like it's like academic fascism right now it's, yeah yeah there is a word like a it's, it's like a was it is a word what's the root pedantism not is it not rooted in pedantism, pedantism. Uh, no there's a root a word for rule by i, I, I want to say it starts elite. with an s but then my brain jumps to scientology and that's a whole um, other right. thing <laughs> it's like it's like it's like, ac- it's like an academic theocracy it's, it's yeah uh technocracy Maybe it's a, not, that's not that's exactly close. That's not that's not so, quite technocracy the is not term, quite but what I'm describing. That makes but, um, it sound too cool. It does. It, it, technocracy is not nearly as cool as it sounds unless you play Mage the Ascension. Um, right. Yeah. Right it's like just it. I don't know. It, it, I'm at a loss for words. It's it's all about just like inflating the egos of the overly credentialed and you know and 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 like at the expense of like the people who are struggling it's it's, it's gotten out of hand some of it's about the egos but i think more even more it's about preserving the material access to power that those right. people have bingo bingo which they don't we saw, we saw that with the way um stephanie kelton stood on her credentials to publicly slander and smack down scott santons who created you know the this discord space for us I'm not aware of that. Can you tell me about this person and what she did? Stephanie Kelton. Uh, I don't know if she still is. Um, 
But I know at the time that I left the Bernie camp and became Yang Gang, Stephanie Kelton was the senior policy advisor for the Bernie Sanders campaign. She's uh, an, econo- uh, an economics professor from Stony Brook University. She is also the um, leading um, brainchild uh, promoting the uh, modern monetary theory, we call it MMT, and the federal jobs guarantee that is rapidly opposed to UBI. And that includes any version of UBI, no matter who is proposing the UBI. She's an acolyte of Hyman Minsky, who was a um, rabid um, reactionary person who opposed giving money to the poor. And her mentor, who was the founder of the Levy Institute, which is a think tank that spawned her and many of these other MNT economists, uh, was a, a, bill, a retired uh, billionaire hedge fund manager named Warren Mosler. He's the founding father of this modern monetary theory and federal jobs guarantee thing. Um, so what, what happened was Stephanie Kelton, to make a long story short, she um, basically sl- slandered along the lines of criminal, by the way, I mean, we know that there's a law against yelling fire in a crowded movie theater, but what this woman did was the equivalent of yell atomic bomb in the middle of New York City during rush hour. Basically, what she did was she launched um, a major character assassination and slander fest against Andrew Yang, Scott Santons, and Andrew Yang's policies. You know, she all over Twitter, you know, they were snake oil salesmen. They were going to cause poor diabetics on Medicaid to suffer horribly and die by making us choose between um, the $1,000 a month UBI and the Medicaid we needed to afford our medical supplies and our insulin in order Mm. to not have amputations, blindness, and premature death be our fate. And that whole thing, I'm I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. No, Uh, no. That whole thing led to Scott Santon's calling himself a grifter now on a lot of his channels and such. Uh Yeah. From people for Bernie calling him a grifter. Uh, up until the day that Andrew Yang suspended his campaign, I was still running around the diabetic community, setting up Zoom chats to show Andrew Yang's policies to everybody. Because I believe in, you know, showing the, the, the proof, not just speaking for, being a surrogate for, but saying, hey, this is the guy's policies. These people that are in, in Bernie's uh, campaign at the top level, they lied to us. They lied to those of us in the diabetic community. They lied to those of us in the Crohn's patient community. We're not going to die. Um, these people lied. And um, I was basically trying to put out these these fires. I was just horrified myself when I learned the truth. And the first thing I did was, it's like, okay, do I apologize to Scott for being terse with him at first online on, on when I saw this go down? Or do I run and try to undo the damage and put out the fires and circle back and, you know, apologize mm. to Scott later for not being the ally to him that I should have been? So why do you uh, think she did, she did this? Why do you this is a Bernie staffer and she's she, this is flagrantly untrue. This I mean, there's never been a, a contest between like the the Yang UBI and medical care in any way. There's never been like you use you, you lose your Medicaid because of it. No, and she's been really far from the only staff member or surrogate of Bernie to spread that sort of misinformation. Okay, now is she an official staff? She is an official staffer. She was an official policy advisor for his entire campaign. He handpicked her. If I remember correctly, she was his Mm -hmm. economics advisor, right? That's correct. uh, Yeah. I think she still is. 
I mean, yeah. you know, it's, it's yeah. I'm pretty sure she still strange. is. Last time I was having this argument with someone, she still was. It's so strange because, like, you know, the burners I talk to are higher info people, and like this this woman must be no must know she's lying. The staffer, um, of course, she does. But, Her career. But, like, you know, the burners I talk to don't don't ever try to push the idea that that it's a that uh, UBI the way Yang proposed it would um, ever take anyone off of Medicaid or cause them to choose. So that's just, it's it's just like it's such a nuclear world where, you know, we have these micro focused messages and like, if it's not for you, you don't even know what happened. Can I finish uh, what, what I was yeah, trying I'm to so say? Sorry, I got off so on everybody could understand the depth and gravity of the situation. Um, Ms. Kelton, um, her, her career started based on, you know, basically an academic fraud where she lied under the guise of scholarship, uh, not only about, um, about, you know, the poverty rates from 1959 to 1980, and the efficacy of what help the Great Society programs did provide before the neoliberalism launched war on the poor kiboshed those. Um, but she also um, lied, you know, uh, about uh, many other things, such as obfuscating what the federal jobs guarantee being, you know, promoted by Warren Mosler, Bill Mitchell, Fidel Kaboob, and all these other MMT people out of the Levi Institute. She presented this as something that would be great to help poor, marginalized people who have been victims of poverty due to lifelong discrimination and marginalization. She presented this, you know, very different face. And then after somebody put me wise to what, who and what she really was, and it wasn't a member of the Yang Gang, it was actually a former Bernie supporter who wasn't sure who he was going to support. Um, who found this out, and I immediately went and researched and found out all this stuff. And it was just, I was, I was horrified because I saw that how long this had been going on. And at first, I really, really wanted to give Bernie the benefit of the doubt. But after, after a while, I, I just couldn't do that any longer. This is beyond supporters getting nasty with Yang supporters online. This is way beyond that. We're talking about um, something that transcends the civil offense of slander. If you or I or anybody else at this round table went into a crowded movie theater and yelled fire when there was no fire, you better believe we'd probably go to jail. What Stephanie Kelton did was the equivalent of yell atomic bomb in the middle of New York City during rush hour. That is the gravity of the situation. And that caused so much harm to the UBI movement, to Andrew Yang's campaign, and not, not to mention the, the really utterly nasty and despicable character assassination hatchet job she, she did on, on Scott Sands, who's a really nice guy and who didn't deserve it, you know, at all. So I, I will say silver linings being a thing I, I try to find. Um, silver lining here is that sort of rhetoric is going to push the remaining to be kind of rude, sane people left supporting him elsewhere. I I know I I used to support him, and similar like noticing of misinformation is part of what pushed me away from his camp. Uh, so yeah, I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> like it Same sucks here. that it's happening, but I'll take the good. You're yang yang now. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you. I've been looking here. for the source of this accusation of like the Bernie campaign slandering and you know, just flat out spreading misinformation about the yang campaign and it seems like maybe i found it because i haven't found 
I've never investigated one of those rumors yet to to its source and found it to hold up, but it sounds like you have. So please post those links to chat. I will put um, them in the show I, notes I, if we I publish this. I Stephanie Kelton blocked me a while okay. back. So you and can't, I did so, not get the chance to screen cap all of her crap. Did anyone? But I'll tell you, but I'll tell I've you, actually got a whole thread I can find on it, but if you, okay. you'll need to give me a little bit for that. Yeah, but That'd I'll tell great. you who does have the links handy to that. Scott Santos. Scott. Okay, we'll get those from Scott. We'll put them in the he show was, notes. He was being attacked terribly, and okay. I, he, yeah, of course he kept receipts. But I went, yeah. my immediate thing was to go and try to undo the damage she caused in the diabetic community, which I'm a member of, and in the Crohn's uh, disease community, which I'm also a member of. I have two chronic illnesses. That was the first thought I had was, oh my God, I've got to try to undo all this damage. I didn't think to get screen caps. I'm sorry. Uh, no, it's okay. I, that's, Thank okay, you. I understand that. I'm, with you, I'm yeah. really sorry. I feel like I totally failed. You didn't. Uh, you, it's you, public information. We can find it easy enough. Look, you're really, I mean, I needed to, I've been looking for this information. So you, you gave it to me. And who knows who else has been looking for that information. So I wouldn't say you failed. That, that, uh, I, I, I just think it's, it's about time that, that these, these people who do these things, they, they come on and they actually debate and speak to and have the conversation in front of everybody uh, to all the, these people that they're making baseless accusations of. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's the way to do it because right now it's like anyone in these positions of power can just say whatever the hell they want and misinform tons and tons of people and there are no consequences. I mean, it's like we're living in this attention economy. It's kind of messed up. If you don't mind me borrowing a term here, uh, the credentialism kind of gets in the way of us being able to confront them on those sources because they can just say, well, you don't know what you're talking about. I have no obligation to debate you. Screw that, right? I mean, well, Andrew Yang is more heavily credentialed than Stephanie Kelton. And with all due respect, I dare say he's probably got at least 50 more IQ points. Right. <laughs> I'm right. sorry. You know, Regardless, he has more integrity. Well, yeah, <laughs> he, for sure. he has more integrity. Um, but he, if, if we're if we're gonna go the credential rank, um, I don't know what Scott, you know, went to school for. I know Scott's pretty pretty brilliant. Um, but uh, if, if Stephanie Kelton wants to go there, and the, her other uh, the peas in her same pod want to go there with their fancy schmancy. MBAs and econ uh, economics degrees from you know prestigious uh, private colleges. Well, you know what, Andrew Yang is a pretty prestigious educational CV himself, and I believe economics was his one of his uh, undergraduate uh, areas of study. Well, well, doesn't it show us like how hilariously idiotic credentialism actually is? When, like, then then why did you all lose to Trump? If 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 all all the people who despise Trump and the Trump camp more than anything are the credentialists, so well, if, yeah. if if you if you if you idiots are so smart, then why did he beat all of you? It, like I think it's about time. Like these these idiots looked in a mirror. Not all of them, but it just frustrates me. It's like like what what is all? Where, why do what do all these credentials mean if your predictions are always wrong? And you're constantly yeah. losing. It makes no sense. 
when yeah. somebody who who says I've got this prestigious uh, PhD from this prestigious uh, private uh, U Ivy League university, and they are trying to convince poor people that a thousand dollars a month will leave them worse off than zero dollars a month, I have to stand on my humble little bachelor's degree in mathematics from a backwater public state college and say you're mathematically illiterate go back to fourth grade <laughs> right. someone currently trying to live under the system it is completely woefully underprepared for the people it's trying to serve oh it cut out there yeah what are you saying mia as somebody who's living under that system it's completely unprepared to serve the people it's trying to serve right yes yeah, so so that's it. Like <laughs> like like these are the kind of stories we have to share to the public so we undo all the distortion in the media. You know, you know, it's 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 creating distortion, it's messing with people's lives. So so Mia, like what what so under that system, like what are you getting a degree right now or you have one and it's not serving you or what's going on? Uh, the system I'm specifically referring to is the um, welfare system itself. It's complete oh. trash. It is. Oh, oh yes. it's terrible. It is. Right, it's, right, I mean, exactly. Like Four-fifths of welfare applicants are rejected. They don't get the services that they need. So, so right. I feel like this might be a good time for us to introduce ourselves and like where we're at. Because I'm, I'm hearing we've got a former Trump supporter, uh, a former but recently Bernie supporter, um, Another Yang supporter on welfare. I'm a former Bernie supporter not on welfare. Like, I qualify. Like, I, I think this might be a, a good point it's for a us to talk idea. about we'll who we are. We'll do exactly that. Okay. I will go down the list starting. I just, I'll go down the list as it appears on <laughs> Discord. <laughs> starting with you, Ariel. Could you introduce yourself? Uh, it's, where do I start? <laughs> so, so it's it's just been a wild ride for me in my life. Uh, uh, I mean, what, like, I'm I'm a son of immigrants from Iran coming here to the United States and I'm I'm an only child. Uh like I I never really enjoyed school that much, but after high school I told myself like, you know, at least I'll go to a community college so I can be a little bit competitive in the job market. So I mean after so long of like searching for a job in community college and then like constantly just not hearing anything back i'm like okay like this is this is a little weird and like i got a broadcasting degree couldn't couldn't actually i was told that the market is competitive and i'm like okay well then you know intern first but even the internships were like overflowing with people who wanted to apply so I'm like, how the hell is a person supposed to make their way in the world? So then uh, I got a fast food job, which I was told I would never get if I, I was told I'd get a fast food job if, if I dropped out of high school, not if I finished community college. So I'm like, okay, something about this country is really, really stupid and messed up and makes zero sense. So uh, I went to a university and got a communications degree and did some boring office job that, you know, bored me half to death. I was just like, I was just really bored and unfulfilled. So I ended up quitting that job. And then I created a YouTube page to just talk about like all the BS that, you know, we talk about in society about meritocracy and 
how people make their way up in the world and and how how I saw like these schools don't teach us about money they don't teach us about relationships they don't teach us about finances they don't teach us about like maintaining a household so I'm like what the hell are they doing over here so yeah and last okay last but not least so then uh that's I created a YouTube page and I supported Trump because I just thought that he he would make you know there we'd have better job prospects that's all that, that's all i thought not nothing less nothing more and i see that that's not happening and that's when i supported yang and that's me yeah thank you great uh, yeah jacqueline yeah my story is really long because i'm probably the oldest one in the whole group i'm 52 years old um i was born behind the eight ball into generational poverty um, and I was orphaned and left homeless and trafficked at the age of 12 in that order in 1980. I escaped at the age of 17 with just the clothes on my back and a seventh grade education and had literally no help at all for rebuilding my ruined life. Um, and we're talking about the stigma of being criminalized and stigmatized because of what was done to me as a trafficked 12-year-old little girl. Um, I finally got into accepted because of affirmative action. I got accepted into a, a, um, a union, a skilled trades union, uh, with, because with my dyslexia, I wasn't able to get a quote unquote woman's job that paid enough for me to support myself and live and try to pick up the pieces. So I had to try to break ground into a male dominated, uh, skilled trades. And I got into the plasterers union in Philly where I was subjected to a lot of violent harassment. And I don't mean sexual harassment. I mean, I was targeted for violence because these men, you know, wanted to, you know, rig up the scaffold so that I would get hurt on the job uh, to teach me a lesson for, quote unquote, taking away a man's job. Didn't matter that I don't get to pay less to live than a, than a dude, you know. Um, and all I was trying to do was earn a living and, and, you know, pick up the pieces of my life. That job um, ended up being very short-lived because I was hit by an uninsured driver a week before my 24th birthday, and I was injured so badly that they had to use a jaws of life to get me out of my vehicle. I had a broken back and two smashed knees. They didn't think I'd ever walk again. I was denied Social Security Disability, SSDI, because I had not yet accumulated enough work history credits to qualify for SSDI. However, I was also denied SSI on the grounds that I was, I, I was, even though I was physically disabled, I was not disabled enough. I could, quote, just go to college and learn something else to re-enter the workforce. Welfare wouldn't help me because I did what all the privileged people tell the poor to do, and that is don't have kids you can't afford. So I didn't. Um, so I had to overcome a learning disability, dyslexia, and that's you know, I have, I'm dyslexic and a major academic gap in order to get my GED followed by my associates and then my bachelor's degree in math with a minor in physics and all this while cycling in and out of homelessness and literally eating from garbage cans. And then I finally, you know, after, you know, going through all that, the agency, the government agency that was supposed to help me, Pennsylvania Occupational Vocational Rehabilitation or PAOVR, they were the ones that I got shuffled off to when welfare and social security wouldn't help me. Right. They sent me to OVR. 
OVR was supposed to help me with uh, job placement as a disadvantaged disabled person. So I go there, you know, after, right after getting my degree, the day I graduated, um, blew off eating at the soup kitchen, which meant I starved that day. And I went there to meet with my caseworker because I was so psyched about finally going to get a chance to get a toehold onto the middle class jobs ladder and, you know, get to have, you know, a shot at having a good life instead of a life that, that's been total shit. Excuse my French. And the caseworker looks at me and he, he had cut out. Now, this is back in the day, 20 years ago, before there was LinkedIn or Monster.com. This guy cut out want ads in the newspaper for jobs with the scissors and hands them to me. And he says, well, I found these jobs in the newspaper that you could apply for. And that was the help I got, right? I just about blew a 50 amper and told him, and I quote, I could shit a better jobs assistance uh, placement program than what you're offering me. Are you out of your mind? And, you know, um, so I had tried on my own to get employment only to find that I couldn't get a chance for a job because I not only had to face employers with the visible conditions of poverty that I couldn't conceal, like visibly decayed, missing and broken teeth from being poor all my life and never having dental care, but also, you know, having ill-fitting clothes, not having, you know, the social capital of a middle-class network to open doors for me, you know, and also the fact that I had this underage prostitution record as a result of being a, a, a child sex trafficking victim hanging over my head like a sword of Damocles. And that caused a lot of doors to be shut to me. So I was never really able to get a chance for a job. And uh, then when my traffickers who I escaped from found out where I was living, I, you know, moved, I, you know, shuffled off across state as far as I could to get away from them and moved from Philadelphia to Erie County, which is semi-rural, which is where I live today. And that's where I met and married my my husband, who is a disabled uh, foundry worker, who is 24 years older than me. And he was the only person that ever really believed in me. I mean, nobody else ever, you know, I'd lost the, you know, the only family I had. And I didn't have anybody that was willing to give me a chance or who believed in me. And my husband did and does. And I feel so thankful and grateful to have him in my life. Um, I just wish he could live forever. Um, and it was because of my life experience that, you know, when I was homeless, and this is before they criminalized homelessness. Now we're going back 25, 30 years ago where I would sleep in the Philadelphia public library in the middle of winter. But I also read a lot of the books there. And one of the first books I read was this book called women of the Soviet East, which was about the, um, the October revolution in czarist Russia and how the communists liberated poor, abused, uh, underage girls from being sex trafficked and being sold into polygamous marriages throughout the Caucasus and the Ural Mountain regions in the Soviet East. Well, being a sex trafficking survivor myself, I couldn't help but view these guys as heroes. It's like, I didn't care if they were godless commies. I, you know, it's like these socialists were, they were, I didn't find Jesus. I found Andrea Dworkin and Karl Marx, okay? <laughs> and for many years, this is how I had to make sense of what had happened to me and why my life was so horrible. That it was because of, of class oppression. And as a woman, as somebody from generational poverty, as somebody, you know, from the bottom of the socioeconomic heap, I definitely knew I was oppressed uh, a thousand ways from Sunday. This was the only framework that 
enabled me to try to make sense of why my life was jacked. And for many years, I was um, I was a diehard Trotskyist. And you don't you don't get much further left on the commie scale than that. So um, needless to say, I supported Bernie and didn't feel he was left enough when I supported him in 2016. I, I felt that he was not leftist enough to suit me. But I supported him anyway because it was like I was of the opinion that capitalism was bad and this was the reason my life was shit. However, in 2020, um, Bernie seemed to be a different person and he seemed to be going in a direction that I didn't feel was healthy. I mean, the top level of his campaign was certainly very toxic. And it was in seeing how other members, how members of the Yang gang who were just as poor, many poorer than me, were being treated by my so-called comrades that I thought had poor people's backs. And it was an eye-opener. And that's when I quietly started to question everything I had believed for the better part of 35 years. I had to re-examine everything. And then when I found out about Stephanie Kelton's academic fraud and her lies and, and the, what, what she was willing to stoop to, to scare people, vulnerable, some of the most vulnerable people in this country away from voting for Andrew Yang. That is when I said to myself, you know, I don't care if I'm going to burn in hell. I'm burning my commie card. I would rather break bread with honest libertarians and be friends with, with former Trump voters than ever break bread with a dishonest socialist ever again. Because what mattered to me wasn't punishing the rich. What mattered to me was helping the poor and not having a society where it's okay to do to other 12-year-old little girls who were homeless like what was done to me. That was what it really was. And it took a lot of um, soul searching. And finally, a month later, I finally got up the courage to brave the onslaught of angry Bernie bros online by coming out solidly and unapologetically in favor of and as a supporter of Andrew Yang and the rest of the Yang gang, anybody else in Yang gang who was, you know, who needed backup, who was getting, you know, subjected to an onslaught of, of um, harassment and uh, all kinds of awful treatment. And I learned a lot. Um, my horizons expanded. I can't say I don't lean left anymore, but I, I can't honestly call myself a socialist. I actually found that, you know, part of me, there is a little bit of an inner libertarian. There is a little bit of an inner uh, conservative. But there's good things in all. And what we really need to do, I think, is, and this is where Andrew Yang and his campaign, you know, and, and the whole concept of humanity first really got to me, is that we have to recognize the humanity in one another and empathize and see each other first and foremost as human beings. And that is something that was miserably absent, you know, from, from yeah. everybody oh, else's campaigns. I, I don't know if that made sense. It does. To me, anyway. So now I'm strong Yang Gang, and I'm friends with Ariel, and I'm friends with Libertarians. And God, I mean, I got turned on to guys like Henry George through James Robichaux on Twitter. I never knew what Georgism was. Like, wow, they never taught me this in Marxist school. <laughs> I like this. And plus, having a math degree, I also know how to do a bit of derivatives trading. So I'm trying to trade my way out of preventing homelessness to turn a $350 loan 
into the $3,800 I need by the end of March to prevent the sheriff's sale of me and my elderly husband's home to back do property taxes, which are three years back due precisely because I've had zero income, despite making superhuman efforts to not be poor. So it's like, yeah, I think I do like a little bit of capitalism. <laughs> I'd be a liar if I said I didn't. Um, but I can't, I couldn't let anybody in the Bernie camp know that I'm, I'm a trader. You know? I couldn't let them know I know how to trade. They'd automatically be all over me for, oh my God, you know, you're one of those evil your investment class. Yeah, and it's like, not hardly. You know, I'm a poor woman who a friend felt sorry for and said, here, all I have to help you out with is 350 bucks so you can hopefully prevent homelessness. And it's like, heh, I know how to fucking trade derivatives, man. Maybe I can turn this into 3,800 bucks before the end of March. And, you know, even if nobody else helps and chips in a single dime to my Patreon, hopefully, maybe I can get you know, get there. It's a bit of a stretch. It's a, you know, cause time kind of worked against me. If I would have had a six month window instead of a three month window, it would be a definite yes. But, um, you know, it's, it's particularly scary because with being diabetic and having Crohn's disease, I have certain complications from, and health problems from these diseases that involve, um, you know, incontinence and other problems where, no homeless shelter will take me in if my husband and I end up out in the street and they end up putting him in the county nursing home because he's 77. There's no homeless shelter that will take me in and I have no family, that no living family I can, uh, I can turn to to take me in. So it's a, it's a very scary situation. And, um, you know, Andrew Yang's UBI, you know, if implemented, would make a world of difference in my life. And in the yeah. lives of so many others that we all know about. Yeah, that was very powerful. Thank you. Um, I'm glad that we could extend your platform. And I'm glad that we have your words recorded here. And that you're, you're going to be able to give your um, very learned and experienced opinion. So thank you. Um, and let's get you your UBI with priority. You know, We're all trying to get our own UBIs here. So. Yeah. We will. Uh, I took when, the pledge too, too when, that you know, for Scott. The, yeah, the when we choose, um, when we when we do get funded, um, we will have two orders of priority determine which speakers get their UBIs uh, first. And the first order of priority is need. So this self-reported need. So you know you'd be at the top. And the second order of priority is um, organizational officer. So if you're fulfilling your role. <laughs> Obviously, yes. organization you you also get priority, but that's the but that's only if you for people whose need you tie with, um, you know what's most important is that you know people can afford to live. Liz, do you want to move on to you? Uh, sure. I'm a 31 year old mom from Wisconsin. I am not a single mom anymore. I was lucky enough to find an amazing human to be my partner. His name's Chad. I call him the beast. <laughs> um, just in case I use that and you need a frame of reference. I supported Bernie in 2016. Uh, really pretty hard. Not not like uh, out the streets hard. This is the sticks in Wisconsin. So uh, wouldn't have been much point. But when he uh, dropped, I, I ended up feeling... Wait, is that me again? Yeah. 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 But why don't you go ahead and finish and um Okay, I'll fin I'll finish. <laughs> Sorry. 
I'm sorry I, uh, about that. I don't know what happened there. It's okay. Technical problems. You know okay. what? I'm, I'm going to edit the podcast. You start over after um, Liz. So Okay. Uh, I, uh, <laughs> I ended up feeling uh, really politically homeless and um, left my Facebook. Didn't feel like dealing with any of the mess that had been left there, especially once I started being more critical of Bernie. My Bernie supporting, like still Bernie supporting friends were very quickly no longer my friends um the biggest social group i was in on facebook went really hard for bernie in that election and i got kicked for completely frivolous reasons once i started being critical of him because that was me being um contrarian me, me disagreeing people with was me being contrarian and that was ultimately why i got la boot uh and i ended up kind of fighting myself on youtube and twitter and just screaming into that void that is twitter and Finding my tribe, which ended up being left to libertarianism. Like, I'm really socially far to the left. Be whoever, do whatever, like, do whoever. I don't care. Um, but, like, I don't need that to be codified in a top-down, like, power structure. I, I think social stages largely belong with society, and for the most part, the government should be the fuck out of your life. Um and from there, like, I found Joe Rogan, which is oddly not how I found Andrew Yang. I was following AI people that, like, anybody that was discussing AI on Twitter, I was following, and I ended up following Andrew Yang as part of that, and, like, later circled back as, oh, wait, this guy's running for president? Oh, he was on Joe Rogan. I love Joe Rogan. I'll go watch that. And uh, <laughs> what actually sealed the deal for me, it wasn't um, UBI conversation, which I support enormously. It would be, well, I can get to that. Um, but it was what he said about college, that free free college is, like, he likes the principle, but college isn't for most people. And it was one of those people who tried college and discovered, yeah, no, college was not for me. That was just, it was really refreshing to hear somebody say that. And somebody saying that who oh, I'd already preach. found, I agreed yeah. with so much. Right. <laughs> Fuck. Um, it, was, it was just, yeah, that was the moment. It was like, okay, you get my vote, sir. Um, but yeah, a UBI would be immeasurably affect like it it one of the most upsetting things i learned since becoming yang gang was that we almost got ubi under nixon and kind of just ended up getting the minimum wage instead and like i really could have used one of these more than another i was a 19 year old single mom like off at college and i ended up having to move back in with my abusive father because i had nowhere else to go and no resources to fall back on other than that and like, yeah, job is great, but fuck, I need to, if I'm going to have a job and a kid, I need childcare, I'd rather it not be there, so. The, the, the places in my life where a UBI could have changed it are. Ah, uh, UBI would yeah. have met my older sister and I would have never been trafficked. Because yeah. Because we would have been starving and homeless. It would have meant that um, maybe, you know, um, I could have still gotten an education, but it would have been you know, something that I would have cared about more than math, like getting a, a degree in international human rights law. Well, that's you know? the thing. I think, I think a big part of the reason that um, college isn't for everybody is because we view college as this like continuation of the path of education to job. Like college, as I think it should be, is absolutely for me. It should be like a luxury. A, I have achieved a certain amount of stability. There is a thing I would like to learn about it. I'm going to go learn about it because it's interesting, right? Yeah. Because I think it's necessarily a path to the secure financial future. No. Like, that's 
Well, planning that, that, out your life around your financial stability life. instead of your passions is draining. Like, right? It's it's dehumanizing. And not and only I've, that, but I think it's it. I think it's terribly cruel and and downright classist. You know, to to have such a narrative like that that college, college, college. It yes. it basically holds up those for whom college is not feasible, whether whether we're talking financial reasons or whether we're talking um intellectual capacity some, reasons yeah, well and, and some people just like find a trade and they don't need any school past then because they just want to pursue this one interest they have found for as long as they can pursue it let them do what they're good at right and, yes. and for people for for the college for the people who are pushing college to you know it uh dis all these other groups of people for whom college is really you know not uh a thing for them is is a huge disservice i think to you know to everyone and it's it's disrespectful i mean i i have just as much respect um for a cord wainer who never that's a shoe a, a person who actually makes and designs shoes from the last to the um to the actual finished product of the shoe itself it's different from a cobbler a cobbler repairs shoes but a, a cord wainer which is what i would like to have been um you know they get to do something really neat and create something that, that they can look at and see this finished product and see people's eyes light up. Like, I mean, you make a replica of Dorothy's ruby red slippers and, you know, you see people's eyes light up. And, and also, you know, like for people who who think differently, who don't think so linearly, college is like the worst sometimes thing for like creative people. Or, or how it's currently laid out yes yeah exactly you you're not free you you're all it, it always feels like you're first to like finish these projects and assignments and then you have another due date and then there's another due date and then like it's it like, should be it should be a great place for creative people because they right. should be no, able to go worst. and just like freely pursue interests but instead it's yeah. no you have to meet mm. this prerequisite to take this course you have to yeah, be in exactly. this line and to take this group of courses it, it, it's so stupid it's 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 like and and then i was always thinking to myself well i mean like that that that's why when i took these uh 3d printing classes like from a little non-traditional YWCA Digital Learning Academy, oh, I, I found my element in that. And it's like, let's help young people find their elements and their passion instead of trusting all these boring bureaucrats. These, these I hate that. It, it's, yes. it's like you, you bureaucrats, you're so uninspiring and boring and uncreative and useless. Like you, you're overpaid and you... Under deliver. Just give the money directly to the people. God. Yes. Bingo. I, uh, so to wrap this up, like just on my end quick, um, where I'm at now, I tripped into what I would consider the best job of my life. It pays some of the least I've ever made. I'm only making like nine fifty an hour, but I'm working at a nonprofit providing after school care to kids. And um, at about the same time, I ended up playing D&D <coughs> at a local tabletop store, and the kids saw my books and asked about it, and through the force of their will and me just, like, letting it happen, um, my job has turned into me running D&D games for children. Like, I, That's paid... the best job I've ever heard of. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, I don't care that it only pays nine fifty. I'm doing a thing that elsewhere isn't even, like, no oh. one considers paying this. Like, this but... isn't a job. <laughs> 
That sounds like um, more fun than making uh, than making uh, you know really cool shoes. And I would you know I I always was a at secret hobby cord wainer by hobby, but uh, that sounds well, yeah, like it's a really it's, fun thing. I'd love to look at learning how to do that and just getting. Those- I would love to run. I would love to play a game with you guys at some point. Oh man. Um, I think we've discussed that have that as a Patreon goal down the line. Yes. Yes. Uh, but it's so my jam. Um, <laughs> Do you DM? It, it's I like I said in the chat. I would not want to yeah. DM it. I'm DMing like three to six games a week right now. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. actually wouldn't mind. You DM is like you DM for adults. I mean, but yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's right, different. It's different DM. DMing for adults and kids. I'm definitely. I don't even feel ready to DM for adults I'm yet. I'm a lifelong Dungeons and Dragons nerd. <laughs> I'm I so never jealous. got to play that. Somebody will have to show me that. I, I did it. I didn't get so to either. Fun. Yeah, we can and all play this year. Oh my god, this sounds well, so much know, fun. It can be a Patreon reward once we get that going. Yes. yes. Oh, my Twitter bio describes me as a bard. Or we could just yeah, have an extra bonus that. podcast. Fuck we could have a bonus podcast that is a role playing game. You know, we can do a lot of Patreon rewards. That can be an, an organizational officer role, which is like a, a patron oh. uh, reward tier provider. Oh. So, should we hear Mia's story now? Yes. Uh, yes, let's hear Mia's story. Yeah. Or, okay. How much did you guys get before I got cut out, or was it like nothing? Just start again from the beginning for the sake of simplicity. All right. Well, I'll kind of try to keep it brief in case I get kicked again. Um, I am a mother of two. I'm 36 year old. Uh, one of my children is on the spectrum. He's uh, 12 years old right now, but cognitively about three and a half. Uh, he obviously has autism. He's nonverbal and uh, he has some violent behaviors that we're just starting to get rid of. And those violent behaviors when he was about two and a half, I was trying to go to school for game art and design. And it got very difficult to keep up with my work while trying to do that. Uh, And that's basically the point where we got trapped into the welfare system. I had to drop out of college. I wasn't getting the student loans anymore, which was also burying me in a different way. But it wasn't burying me at that moment yet, you know? Uh, But yeah, we're trapped in the system. My husband is 50 years old right now. And he's not exactly somebody they're jumping to give a job. And he's not exactly prepared to care for my... um, autistic child in that sense at this that age i am the one who has to step up for that most of the time and we we're just trapped we're trapped and the system is terrible and i want out from under it so desperately <laughs> me too let's get you your ubi also um sorry didn't mean to cut you off is uh were you, were you done i'm gonna be done just in case i get cut out of here again oh i wouldn't worry about it if you've got more to add but if you're done uh, the most I would add right now is uh, Tristan's violent behaviors actually um, he doesn't have them at home nearly so much anymore but he does have them at school he got kicked out of school and a lot of the programs we qualified for were actually dependent on him being in school so now we're losing even more support it's it's just a labyrinth of, of little uh, technicalities uh, it, it's, that can it's just like a negative it's death by a thousand cuts yeah. it's, it's, it's yeah um, uh, so I guess I'll do me I'm Shale and uh man this is the hardest talking about myself yep. uh <laughs> i'm sorry i wasn't prepared emotionally <laughs> um i'm sorry that's fine. i i understand you there i don't know it's like Group I'm, not used, I'm not used to like opening up on a dime like that and i was just uh i was gonna prepared to be the moderator i thought we were gonna follow a, a particular format i'm not saying we should i'm glad we're having this informal discussion it's great 
I think people will will like hearing it and we'll publish it. But I will still follow the formal discussion uh, next time or maybe later today. But uh, um, yeah, we got time. I guess yeah. I should I summarize myself. I'm um 38. I'm a singer songwriter. I guess it's a thing I do. Um, man, I sound so petulant. I should straighten up and fly right. What am I doing? <laughs> uh I went to college. Yeah. 10 years ago, I have a degree in English. I've never used it. I was in a car accident when I was 20 and developed some nerve problems. I've had a terrible time with the healthcare system and the welfare system. Every treatment I went to made me worse. I've endured a lot of really traumatic stuff with the American medical system. And uh, I don't need to go into too many details, but it's, you know, it's shitty. And uh, uh, I've also been on and off of Medicaid, you know. When I was trying to treat these nerve problems for 10 plus years after this car accident, uh, periodically I'd be, um, you know, referred to a specialist and I'd wait nine months for an appointment. And then during that period, like I'd get kicked off of Medicaid for, for a month or something. I have to start again waiting nine months. You know, there are all these ways they can just trap you from actually getting any care. If there's even any, anything at the end of that labyrinth, you know, maybe the care that I needed wasn't even within human potential maybe it still isn't who knows uh but i eventually gave up and just said no i don't really want to try to treat this these problems that aren't being well diagnosed and with a system that just uh, it perpetually impoverishes me and seems to make my ailments worse so i just started independently researching things i might do to improve my quality of life and i still don't have a diagnosis but through through changing my lifestyle over the course of many years, I have mitigated, if not conquered, my chronic undiagnosed uh, health problems. And uh, I was never able to hold a job because of that. I had to always stay qualifying for Medicaid. So, you know, the jobs that I could get usually weren't jobs that would give me insurance. Well, one time I got insurance at an office job that I really wasn't cut out to work and I got fired after about eight weeks there but it did lead to a lovely two years of unemployment insurance which probably you know is one of the reasons i think a ubi is something everybody should have <laughs> ah are you guys still with me yeah oh yeah. yes definitely yeah no, i'm 38 yeah. i don't have like you know i live with like an old friend from from forever ago from school and my brother and i live in a living room i don't have any money i live on about one or two hundred bucks a month it's like a monastic nothing life and it's fine you know i'm single i've got very little obligation and i'm a good person to head this project because of that i'm also a person with audio skills so nice here i am here we are and it's nice to meet all of you it you. is you know uh, a common thread through just hearing everybody's stories is that it it's like not just like the corporations and the rich that are making people's lives miserable that this bureaucratic system is almost as bad as any corporation is living the hoop you know, jumping makes you feel like an animal right yes. exactly it, and and you have to it, it it's designed to keep you where you are instead of helping you it feels like you're stuck and you and you can't get out so I think I think that's the thing that sometimes the left doesn't understand. Like right. they, they they can hound and bark against people with a lot of money and the rich, you know, all day long. But 
but we we put a lot of money and a lot of power in the hands of all these bureaucrats and this bureaucratic system and it's just made people like miserable and unhappy and stuck and frustrated so i think i think that's something that the left can learn maybe maybe don't like instead of uh, having all your contempt and anger and hatred for people with lots and lots of money what about all these bureaucrats and all these bureaucratic systems who are keeping people stuck where they are and not actually helping people you like you know <laughs> yeah you know and that's that's my favorite case against well ubi is a trojan horse and the welfare system it's not but you know but I what's could, the problem but if, if it, it were was... who would care i don't care right exactly you know, like i i know how bad the we all know how here most here's of us do. the Here's yeah. the thing, and, and it seems to be a huge disconnect. The people who are defending these programs mostly have, A, never had to rely on them and try to get help from them, and B, don't realize just how bad poverty really is in this country, uh, or C, they've got a vested interest in the status quo in protecting the jobs of the bureaucrats that would not otherwise exist if not for the existence of those programs and where they have a very disingenuous argument i believe is when they try to paint the ubi as this trojan horse that for you know the, the most common one and i answered this on on reddit the other night where someone said well doesn't the um doesn't andrew yang's ubi policy discriminate against and screw over poor disabled people well, I'm a poor disabled person not getting anything from the system. And my exactly response is, even if I was, here's the thing. I would have to divorce my husband. I would have to be homeless for the two-year duration of going through an appeals process until maybe eventually uh, getting a determination for a $700 a month SSI benefit and then remain below poverty for the rest of my life to continue getting it. This is an income ceiling. UBI is an income floor. And the you know, I find that this is the best way to explain this to people, um, because you really have to you really have to explain it to people like that because it's been drilled in to everybody's heads that you know, no, we have to have a safety net. Well, the problem with safety nets is that people fall through them; they're conditional. So because they're conditional, there's always going to be desperately poor uh, eligible people that fall through the cracks and don't get help. And in the meantime, so much of the budget that is set aside for people getting help is used and spent on just keeping up with the overhead of running those bureaucracies. Yeah. Exactly. And, and you know, the thing is the UBI heads all this off at the past and says, okay, this is a social floor through which no one can fall. But, you know, you're not going to be penalized if you're able to, you know, find your niche and improve your life somehow. Um you know, if, if you're on SSI or if you're on TANF, you can't have more than $2,000 in total assets. And it doesn't matter if you're still, you know, disabled uh, five years down the road or disabled for the rest of your life for the chronic illness. If you ever have more than two, $1 above that $2,000 uh, total asset, they will kick you right off those programs. And that's what some of them sense. even like say you can't have a certain priced car or anything like that, which if you're a disabled person and you need a special car, it's going to cost more than a certain amount. Right. right. Or, Maybe. you know, it's like I was telling Ariel the other night, you know, uh, uh, with a friend that gave me 350 bucks to try to literally use my, my ability with my skills with options trading to, you know, try to 
you know, obviate homelessness after the end of next month. Um, if I would get above two thousand uh, dollars in that, which I need to get thirty-eight hundred bucks, okay. Um, if I was on SSI, I would be kicked off and have to go through the appeals process after I was spent down to zero again. And to me, that is the most ridiculous, punitive. That is what's discriminatory against poor, disabled people. Not a social floor that's universal for everybody through which no one can fall. And yeah. this is the, the, I think, the mental hurdle that we have to overcome when we explain why UBI is the much superior solution. Because people get stuck on, oh, but the federal jobs guarantee is offering $15 an hour and UBI is only $1,000 a month. Yes, but you're ignoring the fact that there's, you know, a, a minimum level of access to resources and economic stability that you have to already have before you can even um, try to get and keep any kind of job, including a quote-unquote government-guaranteed one. There's, right. there's upfront expenses associated with that job. The cost of, in my case, you know, we lost our car to repossession. We don't even have a car. The cost, of getting, the cost of getting a car, or if you have one, getting it repaired and paying for the monthly insurance and repair bills, well, that exceeds you know, um, that, that actually puts you worse off if you're just looking at total at the dollars. It puts you worse off um, than if you were just on the, U, you know, had the UBI and were free to allocate your time as you saw fit. The other thing that people ignore is the intrinsic value of time. Now, options traders understand this because options um, increase and decrease in value based on something known as theta decay time decay of that option because an option has an expiration date, right? Um, time is, is something you cannot recoup. Once you've spent your time doing something, whether it, it's for someone else or not, that time is something you cannot ever recoup. You can't go back and, and reboot and uh, start all over at uh, 21 or 35 or it doesn't work that way. With, with, the, with the UBI, it does not force people who are poor to relinquish the, the only asset we have, and that is our time, as a condition of getting permission from someone else to be able to live. And this also, I'm okay. sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. Um, no, go ahead. I, I yabbered long enough. Go ahead. <laughs> a lot of times when you are looking at people who have disabilities, like I don't have a disability, but my son does, but I have to devote my life to his disability. And building support systems with a UBI is very important, too, and something people don't consider. It's not just about caring for the individual. It's about caring for entire family units. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Do you see, you see, like, this is, this, is the, this is what I'd like to see on, like, CNN and Fox News and MSNBC. Like, in, instead, instead of people just watching a bunch of, like, pundits and talking heads and they're completely out of touch with the average normal person, like, on the street or in their house is going through. Like, like th this should be more where, you know, back in the day, like, wasn't there, like, a pub place in, like, public like like a it's it's like a town hall or like there, there used to be like a park or i don't know just a town where, square yes I right like like a town square the, yeah, that people could go to and and talk about all these things mm -hmm. now we're so stratified from each other it's like you know jaw it's like sleep wake up breakfast work 
come home, watch TV, sleep, That's rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. Right. You know? Um, if I can interject, I think the word, it's a great rhetorical tool, is nuclear in the sense of a nuclear family, not nuclear bomb, but we have an extremely mm -hmm. nuclear society right now. And mm -hmm. I, we talked about this just briefly um, a few hours ago, where we know our, our, new, our immediate family. And we know our like our work family, maybe if we have a job, but we probably don't know our neighbors. We don't take place in community events. We don't have a commons. We only have like our nuclear myopic perspective. So we don't know what it's like for anyone else anymore. That's how fractious society has become. And I think that's what you're describing. And I think the UBI helps fight back against the nuclearization of society by giving us a shared stake and a shared uh, a shared stake in something we have a shared ability to be stewards of together. Once we mm -hmm. all have money, we have incentive to uh, take care of our community, and then we know each other, and then we have a community again like we used to right. a long time ago when maybe the economy, I don't know, I wasn't alive. Some people say it was good. It was good for some people, but there was a lot of people for whom it was not good for. Yeah. I mean, um, that's right. Uh, having been born in 67 on the older end of the curve of Gen X, I, I remember and I was in my early 20s when head and master laws were finally officially repealed from the books. And what those laws were, were they were laws that allowed any male relative to seize ownership control um, of any uh, property that a woman might uh, come come to own. And I'm when I say male yeah. ownership, I mean a father, a husband, a brother, an uncle, a grandfather, or even a son. And, and the, those laws resulted in countless uh, women from, you know, my generation and older, you know, the, you know, boomer women and women older than the boomer women uh, ending up destitute in their old age because uh, headmaster laws literally left them penniless and, you know, having to, to beg for help uh, from the public at large. And this was... The, the, these laws were repealed just as soon as, you know, the, the civil rights laws were starting to kick in and allow, you know, women to start, you know, getting, you know, the better, you know, educations and the better jobs. But people don't realize that just when those civil rights laws were passed, particularly Title VII for women, that doesn't mean that women went from sub-minimum wage waitress, uh, waitresses without health care and minimum wage clerical pool employees without benefits to the executive boardrooms. That, that's just, you know, many did not get to realize the, these, these gains and these marks of progress. And when people, you know, talk about um, things like, you know, the old days and how things were better, it was only better for some people. It was not better for many people. There was a yeah. lot of people who were cut out of that and who never got to uh, to experience those benefits, and who actually were legally and systemically uh, oppressed from being able to access those benefits through things like head and master laws, you know, which is part of the reason why the welfare program, by the way, was designed to be as paternalistic and punitive as it was. It was the idea that all these poor women with their frail little lady brains couldn't possibly know what's best for them. We have to save them. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah and and not to mention like our society is so ageist like i i like to think like age racism because it's like when i was growing up like i always i was always told like when i wanted to learn about like what older people do like adults like okay like how do they get money for a job how do they pay for rent 
you know, you know, what's the flow of revenue? Like, how does a business work? I always told like, you know, oh, well, you shouldn't worry yourself with these things. Like you, you just, you just naturally understand when you get older. Nobody has to tell you. And you know, pardon me, but motherfucker, what do you mean? Like <laughs> you're, you're so stupid. And then, and then when I grew up and I didn't know these things, they're like, well, um, you, you should just automatically understand these things all by yourself. Like, why, why would somebody have to tell you? It's like you fucking idiot. Then, then why did you have me learn for all those years? You had 12 years to teach me this in school. You could have you could have taught me these things. You could have told me these things, but you kept on telling me not to worry about it. And, and it'll just come naturally to me when you all had your heads up your ass and you, you weren't paying attention. So fuck you. Like, sorry, but like, this, is, yeah. this is why I get so mad. Go to college. Go to you college. Know, right. Go exactly. to college. For some reason. Exactly. Like, like a parakeet. I, I swear you could you could just like one of my high school counselors, you could just automate them like like the, and, and they could just repeat the word go to college and that's all they can do. Like they, they, they were so I, pathetic. I didn't learn derivatives trading in college. Right. I learned it by being accidentally exposed to somebody who was from the upper middle class. Right. Who was a stock and, trader. And, and my the, initial exposure to it was actually, by the way, long before that. It was when they reported the stock and commodities prices in the newspaper and the dollar amounts were represented as fractions. And, I got and, initially and, exposed to it as a kid when I was trafficked. And my traffickers, um, well, people that he reported to in, in the Philadelphia crime family, the Philadelphia mob, two of these um, capos or soldiers, as we call them, they actually took some of their money from their bookmaking rackets and were buying commodities and soybeans and coffee. So, I mean, I didn't learn and become a skilled derivatives trader because I went to college and got a math degree. I became a skilled derivatives trader because when I got exposed and a tiny seed was planted, it was a seed that just happened to take and that I happened to, you know, gravitate to and have a knack for. When it right. comes to things like Ariel's talking about with being taught the skills of budgeting and finance and planning for a long-term purchase like a home or a car, this is not something we can just assume that just happens through osmosis or through somebody going to college. If somebody does not have that knowledge, um, we have to make it okay for them to reach out and ask for help and say, hey, you know, I don't know how to do this. Can somebody help me? like they they tell you that that like oh but you want to learn these things about money and finance and life skills like you you get that on your own and school isn't for that so then it's like but aren't we taking all this money out of our tax dollars to the schools so what is school like, for then <laughs> right exactly yeah it's, it's yeah. what's well, just for appearances you know right basically exactly. yeah like can't you More see we educated them Right. It's, in a it's, culture, a it, it, it's in a it's a fashion accessory like a Gucci bag, you know. <laughs> it, oh, what it does is ensure there's no class mobility. It's key, right? Yeah. Without further ado, I'm going to begin the formal uh, structure, the formal structure of our podcast, the structure that we intended the whole time. We've had a great informal conversation, um, but we're just going to do a couple questions. Let's see if we can do three real quick. Okay. Um, I'll go around room and i will start with ariel and uh we'll we'll all respond to these prompts how would you describe yang gang and its current post-campaign incarnation mm. so ariel mm. uh resilient 
mm-hmm. just uh, like it it started with uh, grieving. But I mean, we're we're still alive and we're still kicking because this is about more than just you know an Asian man who's mad. It's about finding a meaningful way forward in in a system that is quite honestly just failing people. And so, yeah, resilient. What do you think uh, Yangang is uh, logistically speaking now? Is it a UBI lobby? Is it still like an Andrew Yang? explicitly group like what, what are people doing to keep yang gang extant and defined well i mean we're kind of answering that question here aren't we? i think so i hope so yeah your your idea with a podcast so i think we're just a group of uh creative thinkers and before you know the yang campaign we really didn't even know of uh you know, we, we existed because I think it, it took something like a Yang campaign to get us all connected with each other. And even though that the campaign is suspended, uh, the, like an idea never dies, mm-hmm. especially good ideas. There's no, there's, it's, it's impossible to kill them because you, something you see and something you hear and you have in your memory does not just disappear. And I think we're keeping the movement alive in memory. In, in our own special, creative, interesting way. Thank you. Um, Jacqueline? Well, to sum it up in a short, I would say that we're all a bunch of human beings who are struggling for our humanity in a world that is rapidly losing its shit collectively. Um, and we recognize the ties that bind. The, tie, the common ties that bind is that we're all human beings. And it's that humanity that we are reminding people, you know, that we need to get back to. For me, yes, a good port, a good uh, part of that, you know, the core is UBI because nobody should be too poor to be able to survive. Uh, poverty is economic terrorism, and um, we don't take convicted axe murderers on death row and starve them to death or force them to freeze to death. Um, but we do that to people who, you know don't have a criminal record who just fell through the cracks in the system that we've got. And uh, for, for me, Yang Gang represents, you know, a whole lot of new friends that I'm really, really happy to have made um, because once you see things, you can't unsee them. And that's how it's, how it's been for me. You know, there is no going back. There's only going forward. And that's what I think this represents for me. You know, is that we're all going forward and we're going forward together and we're we're fighting for a world that we can believe in. Does that make sense? It does. Thank you. It, um, sorry about the sudden disappearance there. My phone died. It's no problem. No problem. Um, we'll, we'll get to you in a second and I'll repeat the prompt for you. Um, Mia, would you like to respond? Well, for me, the Yang Gang is actually a lot of what Jacqueline just said. Uh, people actually giving a shit about everyone regardless of where they were born what they were born with we all just want to see people finally have a chance to perform to their potential thank you um liz so Uh we're we're saying what is the state of yang gang right now uh the prompt let me read it to you verbatim how would you describe yang gang in its current post-campaign incarnation we're responding to the first prompt of our formal format 
probably if I, if I had to do it in one word, I'd probably say fractured. Um, and I, I think that's long start. term, that's probably a good thing. Uh, short term, it's scary and occasionally frustrating to watch. Just it's like every like a core group of people stayed mm-hmm. in the same spaces, and just some people fractured out into their own ways to put Yang Gang, which is awesome to see. Some people fractured out into other candidates. Some people fractured right back into, well, fuck everything, and I can't even blame them. Um, yeah. Poor Elizabeth. Oh, okay. Yeah, Unicorn. Having, um, she's having technical difficulties, but I think we get the picture. A lot of people did return to disengagement, which is unfortunate, but that doesn't mean they're going to stay there forever. You know, I think they'll but come back around when Yang is uh, is up again. It's not just that, but the more media we put out, the more likely they are to find something to latch onto still and to come back to. That's why we're doing this, you know? That's that's one of the reasons we're doing this. Absolutely. So um, I'm going to move on to the second prompt. I'm not going to respond myself in group A. I'm just the moderator, so I can focus completely on being the moderator. Obviously, I just have just enough, um, you know, mental attention to to do this. I couldn't do that. (laughs) Um, So uh, number two, what can we as individuals do short term to help refocus Yang Yang in the wake of the campaign suspension? Short term, uh, individuals. Uh, Ariel, would you like to begin? Sure. Uh, like, just I mean, we have a voice with whether the campaign is suspended or not, and it's like we have to, you know, remind ourselves. Yeah, Yang wasn't the Andrew Yang we know. If he didn't decide to take action, none of this would exist. Now, we, we all have the potential to, each and every one of us, all have the potential to be a voice as loud and as influential as he is. And the only thing that's stopping us is ourselves. Not, nothing, nothing is stopping, you know, uh, well, of course, if it's money-related, but from, you know, you as a person, whoever you are listening to this right now, from starting a YouTube page, joining a podcast, getting involved in your local politics. I mean, the only thing stopping you is you. And if, if, if Andrew Yang, um, let's, say, let's say that Andrew Yang wanted Bernie to win uh, last time. And, you know, we all know Bernie lost. And he said, oh, well, there's nothing I can do. And he never decided to run. All this wouldn't exist. Now, if you have an idea out there and and you 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 really you know want want to see something happen with it, you know you you have the potential of becoming someone who's just as influential and just as you know uh, um, persuasive as as Yang was. Okay. Thank you, um, Jacqueline. Well, a lot of what Ariel said, and also remembering what it was that brought us together, you know, and remembering that, you know, what's also very important in that is Maslow's, you know, hierarchy of needs, which is why this is, you know, UBI and Andrew Yang's campaign was so worth fighting for, okay? People can't concentrate on other problems if their own day-to-day survival is under constant jeopardy. And we have to remember that and you know, be a little understanding and a little forgiving, I think, when, um, you know, when, when, when we stumble, you know, we have to be for, 
a little bit more forgiving and understanding of one another and not uh, let Andrew Yang's suspension of his campaign, um, you know, be the, you know, the um, catalyst for forgetting what brought us all together in the first place. This is something that, you know, is, is very, very vital, I think. And it's not going to lose momentum as long as we remember that and you know, retain our, our common humanity and recognize the humanity in others. Thank you, Jacqueline. Uh, Mia. So I'm going to be a little honest here for a second. I had a lot of anxiety about just doing this. Um, I think that a lot of people have that kind of anxiety. Like if you go into a field, if you start talking about something, somebody's going to come up to you and tell you, no, you do not have the right to talk about this. You aren't qualified. You don't know enough. Somebody's going to belittle your position. And I think the biggest thing the gang gang can do to uh, stay together is just be brave. And back each other up. Absolutely. Can I ask how you feel about this project now? Are you still as anxious as you were earlier today? Uh, I'm, I'm still anxious, but I'm starting to like get a feel for it a little bit. And that's what's going to happen for everybody who tries to step out of their comfort zone. You're going to feel better and better about what you're doing the more you do it. Yeah, thank you. Great. Um, Liz? Yeah, it kind of cut out of me there. I'm not sure when it, at what point it did. It was... A lot of the same thing, just I, I've been seeing the Yang Gang kind of fracture lately, but I think the elements that were the most passionate and believed in his vision the most, for whatever reason, have really come together. And that's good to see. I think the most important thing we can do over the next four years, but the next two years especially, is... Sh- Damn it, did it cut out on me again? No, it wasn't you. It wasn't um, you. Go on. Okay, good. <laughs> is we can show that there's hope, that there is a plan that would be helpful. There are people who want to enact that plan, that even if it's going to be longer than we initially anticipated, help is on the way, and people don't have to get in, give in to that hopelessness and that fear. There is a movement they can join that wants to work with them to make things better for everybody. Because I think that fear is about to get really dangerous. Absolutely. You know, all the people who are saying, oh, Yang Gang made me, he's cured my depression. You know, what, what happened is they, they became, whether, you know, whether it was real or not, they felt empowered to change their circumstances for perhaps the first time in their life or perhaps just yeah. a, in the first time in a long time. Um, so uh, I think it's key. We keep doing things actively to at least make our situation known and reach out and find new people who might be able to help correct the system and help, help us help other people. And a lot of that, a lot of that I think starts with, you know, um, telling the truth about poverty and classism, which is something that this country has not had an honest discussion about since forever. We've, you know, talked about other isms, but classism seems to be you know, verboten. And it's this idea that um, poverty, that life-threatening poverty is acceptable and okay. That is the result of, of, of a lot of the classist ideologies that I actually, you know, discussed before with Ariel and on other interviews. And I think people saying, hey, no, look, this is not okay. Um, we, you know, we've experienced this. We've done X, Y, and Z, and the recipe didn't work. And we need to start telling the truth. We need to start telling the truth about jobs that are vanishing. We need to 
start telling the truth about the lack of help from the so-called safety net. We need to start telling the truth about what happens when, you know, uh, somebody does all the all these so-called right things um, and they still end up getting lost in the sauce. Um, I think when we have a groundswell of truth telling, that enables the problems to be solved because a lot of people, if they're if they if they're not if, if they're not being exposed to the truth, they're not going to recognize the problem that we're trying to solve, the problems that we're trying to solve. And that's why I think you know continuing to speak out everywhere we can, here uh, uh, on Twitter, on Facebook, everywhere, on blogs. Anywhere we can, on the street, if we're waiting in line uh, in the supermarket, you know, to strike up, you know, just the casual conversation and, you know, gradually, you know, get into, hey, you know, uh, did you know this? Did you know that? Did you know why this is, is not working out? You know, and get That's people right. to start thinking. Sow that seed. Drop that seed anywhere you can. Thank you. Absolutely agree. Um, our next question comes from Mia. Uh, she writes, Scott Santons has stressed the importance of elected officials who are pro-UBI so that when we get Andrew Yang elected president, his ideas will be passed. The hashtag UBI caucus is a list of candidates on record as for UBI. Um, I've started doing daily rounds to check their Twitter feeds and seen varying levels of support amongst these candidates. They range from enthusiastic with detailed platforms to more hypothetically on board should the issue approach them. If you haven't had a chance, um, peruse the list. You have um what are your thoughts on the ubi caucus do you know that mia is is um retweeting all the ubi caucus people regularly um do you know about the ubi caucus so uh starting with ariel actually it's funny that you should mention that because i had a uh, interview actually with a guy uh, named james uh ellers uh he's 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 pro yang and uh, I actually met David Kim, like like a park. So here in California, like the the UBI movement is alive and kicking. And actually, a, a Sacramento legislator, his name is uh, Evan Lowe, actually introduced uh, an assembly bill to California, which is a UBI bill. So uh, yeah, I I really think that that this 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 idea. It, it has potential and I just think we need the 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 correct uh, kinds of people to advocate for it and advocate for it in a way that hopefully riles people up and that's really something I want to do and I, I really think that Yang basically opened the floodgates for good ideas and good people to run with those good ideas and it'll just set the stage if he's uh, doing anything for 2024. Um, do you want to talk a little bit more about the California specific UBI bill? Uh, you said you were going to actually take a, like a bus trip with some people and uh, in, in an event related. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, yeah, actually there, there, there's this lady, I forgot her name, but she, she heads up uh, Carolyn uh, S. Cynics. I think her name was, and she she's leading something, uh, Sister Warriors. It's like for like marginalized women who've been like inside some kind of system, and uh, 
uh, she's actually going to bus us from L.A. to Sacramento. And in Sacramento, uh, uh, we can, like, talk to our legislators, I guess. And the thing that I'm going to do is that I'm going to get all the most potent uh, talking points and just uh, mention them and see what happens. So, so the more, you know, light we can shed on this stuff... I think the better we set ourselves up to have some local and state initiatives for Universal Basic Game. Thank you. Fantastic. Uh, Jacqueline? My state is really hard to crack because I live in a horrible state, Pennsylvania. I mean, my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm and, from New York. Right. You know, it's like there's this... I'm still at the stage where I'm trying to get... Um, my community where I live, you know, and I'm limited because I don't have a car. So I'm limited to what I can reach, you know, online and to who I can reach within walking distance of, of my home. Um, of getting people to question um, their beliefs about poverty and, you know, whether or not, you know, the, the solution to poverty should be jobs. I'm still trying to get people to unpack their knapsack of classism and this um, idea that, you know, if you don't have a job, you don't deserve to be able to survive. I mean, this is really, uh, this is why Yang Gang is such a nice, refreshing oasis for me, because it's very uh, emotionally draining having to, you know, go back to the drawing board at the very beginning with a lot of the people that, you know, I have to interact with every day. Uh, and in my local community to get them to realize that this is the way we need to go to move forward. They're still not there yet. They're still in hopes of, um, of a Bernie victory and providing them with the, the promise of a job, you know, so that they can have dignity. They don't realize that it's not the job that provides a dignity, but because jobless poor people have been stripped of dignity for so long, they automatically connect job with dignity and basic human rights and uh so my my uphill battle or which is really a sisyphean task put it mildly is to continue trying my to do my work on talking with other people in my area about why that is not a doable uh idea anymore that we really need to look at social floor and other ways that work other types of work that counts and, you know, uh, new ways that we will all be having to interact with the economy, not just as consumers, but also as owners, investors, entrepreneurs, everything. And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm still trying to get that hurdle. Uh, like I said, it's a, you know, our, our area wasn't as uh, quick to, to latch on to, to uh, Andrew Yang's message as I had oh, hoped. Yeah, Pennsylvania, I mean, you know, I'm in the I'm in the. New Try to they call it pencil tucky for a reason. I was about to say that, you know. That's what we know. We know we call it pencil tucky here in, in the tri-state too. And uh, you know, as bad as our welfare is in New York, the world's better than uh, New Jersey or Pennsylvania. So it's like it's just so discouraging to look at like you know what we have and go, wow, relatively good. This is a relatively generous welfare state, uh, and it's and it is nothing. So it's scary, and uh, you know some. It's yeah, it's where, I, where I live is the Mississippi of the North. That's what I tell mm -hmm. people. You know, Erie County, Pennsylvania is the Mississippi of the North. Yeah, I'm familiar with it. Very familiar with it. I'm not, I'm not too, too far from you. Um, 
So we move on to Mia. This is your question. Would you like to say a few things? Uh, well, I am also carless, and um, while that's great for my carbon footprint, it's not so great for being able to get around locally as well, especially with my autistic child. He doesn't really fit into the community in a traditional sense either, so it's hard to get him around and socializing with people. Um, so I have been mostly doing it, like I said, through, well, like was suggested when you read it out loud, Shale, uh, doing a Twitter run every day just to promote the ideas and make sure that these uh, candidates who want to run on UBI feel motivated, feel like the Yang Gang is behind them. Because one of our core competencies has always been being on Twitter. I know that sounds silly, but we can actually get them to care about these things by showing them that they're going to get engagement, they're going to get likes, they're going to get retweets, and that's what I've been going for. Good thinking. That works, yeah. Um, and that is great, and I'm happy to promote that via this platform. Let's get that UBI run you do to reach you know, 10 times as many people. Um, we're all amplifying what, what we do individually, and we have a synergistic effect getting together like this. So that's wonderful. I'm glad we can cover that. Um, move on let's see if we can do a couple more before we're out of time uh this this comes from caroline our assistant producer who's been very helpful setting this whole thing up um how can we get the public to be interested and invested in building local political infrastructure and movements for yang so we get the public so i think so uh ariel would you would you, would you like to respond uh yeah it's it's Sometimes some members of the public are in between a rock and a hard place because here's where we come up with the uh, chicken and egg problem. It's that like the the nine to five hamster wheel has everybody kind of, you know, running on it. So that that's the same hamster wheel that keeps people kind of like getting involved and doing something important. But I think if we can get like engagement like kind of rile people up now now that most people have switched from like traditional media to more like a social media and youtube thing i think i think we should have like initiatives where we get uh, get togethers and where we speak on these topics and we we put pressure on you know our local politics to pay a little bit more attention of the day-to-day -day lives of people and like what what we can do is we can make it fun and i remember when when we did a march here in la in downtown like right in front of city hall a universal basic income and i brought out my megaphone and i made a speech and i just felt so happy and empowered and just surrounded by like-minded people so we should we should just have more initiatives that mobilize people and makes them feel empowered i yeah, think that's, that's the best thing we should do that's a great point there is also nothing like getting together in physical space with people to do this and i think as we grow one thing i might like to do is get some um like individual like local uh chapters of our organization going you know if in, in an individual city or or area if some mm -hmm. runner could get five people five yang gang together within driving distance who would do this every week in person that would be extra we could get uh you know the we could get them involved and they could or they could amplify whatever they're doing locally um and they could let all of us know we could you know people who can travel can go to wherever they are to support uh, any kind of event they're doing 
So that's the kind of interconnectivity I'm talking about fostering um, with this project where we have 10 of these podcasts going out a week. That's a lot of people from a lot of different walks of life coordinating, collaborating to get something we all want done that's good for everybody. Right, right, right. Here, here's my idea. Circumvent the gatekeeper. That's what we're trying to do. It's like separated because like we have all these gatekeepers and like academia and for jobs and politics and they're the pundits and they're the people, they're the people who want people credentials, but we create a whole space ourselves where all that gatekeeping is irrelevant absolutely operation grab the microphone (laughs) right (laughs) do you want to take it jacqueline what's that would you like to respond to the question sure um you know i just wanted to echo that you know ariel you know uh, agree with what ariel said and also with what uh, you suggested about doing that um you know with getting you know keep on on maintaining a groundswell and not shutting up not going back absolutely we're going forward and now this train is moving forward and people are are definitely encouraged to come aboard the train you know (laughs) um mia any thoughts on how to better convey our information to the general public well these guys covered like how to actually organize towards it so i'm gonna go with um we need to work on stopping making this sound like it's some sort of like charity for everybody to an extent like i understand Mm -hmm. that it is like helpful to people who are in terrible positions but it's also something that we are innately owed is the right to live and the more we phrase it as um the more we phrase it as something that is only for getting people out of the shittiest of situations the more we phrase it as something that people will argue well why aren't you going through a charity why aren't you going through the welfare system why Why you have to yeah exactly Exactly. You should not have to. And that's something that we need to communicate better. Thank you. Well, this is where telling the truth about poverty and the failures of the charity and the public safety nets needs to, this is what my forte is getting that truth out there and continuing to beat that drum um, as well as also framing it. And I believe James Robichaud, uh, who's the UBI and Yang supporter on Twitter. He Yes. Helped- when he when he said, you know, no, we, we've got to stress that this is not this is not just giving charity. This is actually, you know, compensation for a loss of access to the commons. And he went into this whole. Um, he uh, has some great arguments. Yes. Yeah, yeah, really. I think he makes the strongest pro UBI arguments. Yes. And yeah. I, I was so impressed with his stuff on Henry George that my husband was like grabbing, grabbing me by my arm saying, honey, honey, you know, it's like three in the morning. Are you coming to bed? I'm like, no, not yet. I have to finish reading this. This is fascinating. <laughs> I think we're all saying follow James Robichaud on, uh, or however you pronounce his name on Twitter. Robichaud. Yep. Well, I mean, I, 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 I you can find it somewhere on all of our Twitters. <laughs> no, no one can spell it. Okay. I, I cannot, no. Everything he said is like, oh, I see. We've got to explain this to people like they're for. Explain it to them in terms of social floor versus, you know, income ceiling. This is not charity. This is compensation for our loss, our loss of access to the commons, you know, in a society that, uh, you know, has decided the rules and rigged the rules, you know, against, you know, everybody, basically. And this is our way of correcting course on that. It's not a charity. It's not help for the poor. Although it is help for the poor, it's more than that. It is, you know, uh, a system that, you know, 
doesn't start at zero and it compensates us for our loss of uh, shared access to the commons. Very, very good argument. Yeah, I think the fundamental misunderstanding we just have to correct is that uh, it's okay to be entitled. Everyone should feel entitled to a basic level of safety and security. And it's not audacious to, to say, yeah, everyone should just have a place to live and enough food to eat and utilities that work so they can participate yeah, yeah, no. at a minimum if level. You, and they don't have you, to do anything. And people go, well, well, why do they deserve that? Well, because everyone know, we benefits tremendously, not just the people themselves, because we're not bailing them out with much more expensive stopgap programs later. And they're not becoming, you know, they're not becoming antisocial, uh, destroyed people who destroy society back. Um, it's, everyone benefits to give a concrete like, example to give a concrete example here in Erie County where I live they stopped um having the supermarkets open on third shift because when when they the last round of cuts to the food stamp program um things got so desperate that poor people here are stealing food mm -hmm. yeah you know, I, I, I hear that's going up yeah yeah the response to that was to uh, knock out sh third shift because that's when most of the thefts were occurring. Now, aside from that, um, there's also the fact that what you said, you know, there's nothing wrong with being entitled to these things as a right because the Universal Declaration on Human Rights itself enumerates, you know, a, a, an acceptable standard of living, of, of being able to survive in basic human dignity as a basic right. In the society in which you know we were born, in which we are participating in. If society None doesn't us... give us that, what's the point of society? What are we doing? Right. Why are we doing? Like, it? are we the greatest nation on earth or not? Oh, of course not. <laughs> but all nations are pretty bad. Well, no, well we're, we're number one at producing. <clears throat> uh, no. What's up? We're number Wait. one at producing serial killers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we are number one at producing number one in incarceration per capita. Well, well, I mean, like, where we talking about the whole college and university thing. It's like, why would you want to, like, fill everybody's head up with, like, complicated concepts and make them t take SAT scores and constantly worry about grades? And then all of a sudden you're like, okay, like, now you have to struggle to survive, but hey, at least you know about Shakespeare and algebra and calculus. It's like, you fucking idiot. Like, the <laughs> right? yeah, it's, it's, I know how to do Pythagorean's theorem, but fuck but my taxes, everyone, I guess. It makes everyone feel betrayed, massively betrayed by society and institutions and authority in general, and it makes people generally antisocial. And that's where we have this wave of institutional mistrust and antisocial activity. Um, yeah. So shall we try to do one more question? We're we're running running up against the time limit here. Um, um does Elizabeth get a chance to answer any of these? I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh my god. I have I, I can skip you like twice I'll in a sit, row. I'll sit this one out so that No, don't. Don't sit this one out. I am just like trying to to stay organized. Okay. You are I didn't mean that to be rude either. I'm very no, sorry. No, no, it's, no I'm, I'm I, I appreciate it. I'm so sorry. Please don't take it personally. It's like It's, it's all right. Just, I think two or three times this happened, at least two times, I have just gone off from a tangent on something Mia said that just seemed to be a good segue, and then I just go to the next question. I'm so sorry. It is not personal. I'm it's okay. To, it's my I ADD. understand it. <laughs> part of it's also, I, I'm being, for the most part, very quiet. I that have a too. tendency to interrupt people, yes. and I want to listen and also because you've been in and out you've been dropping out so I oh yeah no my discord's just, dropped out like twice right, i don't so know also why I that's sometimes happening. skipped you because you weren't there so that yeah. got me all right confused. let's get that is fair <laughs> anyway so, you guys just, um so what can we do 
to, to better reach the public with our message? Um, personally, I don't, I don't know that it's better, but I live somewhere pretty rural. So I'm trying to do outreach partially just through my Facebook, through like just passively, hey, here's a bunch of information, everybody local, like read it. Uh, and I'm amazed by how many people have. That's been surprisingly effective. Um, but getting out there, like uh, part of the reason I couldn't be here for the original scheduled time was because every Sunday I go downtown in Yang Swag and I pick up trash around town or I shovel around town. That's wonderful. And I'm just trying to build positive name recognition in this town because most people in this town, they either they know Trump, they know Bernie, they don't really know most of the other politicians. Um, and the other one I've gotten some traction out of is just putting information up in the places that I go. Like, I don't have a washer or dryer, so I go to the laundromat. I put information up at the laundromat, and, like, a couple weeks later, I'm having these conversations with people who are there, because I'm, like, overhearing them talking about it. And I, I think just physically getting out there, even if you're not, like, talking to, like, walking up to strangers, like, hey, have you heard the word on this particular subject? Just being out there and positively representing him and his movement, I think, is a good way to passively build public interest and trust. That was really beautiful. I'm so that glad to hear that. Yeah, that is that is <laughs> inspiring. Awesome. You know, when people see people picking up trash, often they'll assume like it's like punitive, but if they don't, they might be like, hey, why are you doing this? Maybe just because I can, because I should, why not, right? <laughs> well, can... no, and I think it's a little like, I don't think um, the punitive assumption is made because it's just like one person by, yeah. I guess by you're herself. Right. You're wearing like branded apparel. gear. So it's yeah. like, yeah, you're right. No, it's not like no one's going to assume. It's like the official oh, humanity no. first uniform. That's great. Yeah. Math hat. <laughs> and like, you know, you can explain to people essentially something made you feel like, oh, I am part of a community and now I'm acting like it you know that's essentially in a very reductionist way what's happened to a lot of us uh, myself included we're doing communal things because we feel for the first time in a long time empowered to be a part of a community yeah so that's wonderful um let's try to get through one more question uh and then we'll, we'll wrap it up um some economists have proposed that a sovereign wealth fund would be more fair and effective uh to pay for a ubi than a vat tax do you have an opinion on that? Ariel, let's begin with you. Uh, a sovereign wealth fund? Yes, it's a different structuring for a UBI where um, basically uh, there is an asset portfolio of businesses and things that you own, that the public owns, and the profit from that is, generates a UBI rather than taxes. That is, um, mm. some people in the Bernie camp who are pro-UBI advocate for UBI and say they don't like Yang because they want a... Sovereign wealth fund based one. The sovereign wealth fund based uh, fund is what Alaska has. They have a sovereign wealth fund. It's their oil industry that is partially publicly owned and given to everyone in the state. So um, I know you just learned about that. Do you have any initial thoughts on that versus a VAT? Yeah, I, I actually think I kind of like that idea more because mm -hmm. why should it be coming out of my tax money mm -hmm. if, you know, we are, you know, and a lot of these big uh, companies. Are, their workers are supported by taxpayer dollars because they don't pay them enough. So those are the companies that we buy things and we pay the taxes when we buy those things. So that sounds pretty fair. Yeah. I mean, if, if it can pay for it and if, if, if the companies just have this amount, this gargantuan, almost cartoonish amount of money 
that can't even be spent within like 10 lifetimes, let's say like each person lives up to 500 years, then yeah, uh, obviously they, they, there's no spending all that money anyway, un unless it's towards some like big military industrial. So yeah. just give it back to the people who are actually paying for the products and are part of the is doing so well. Jacqueline? Um, I don't think we should take any idea for funding off the table because if we rely solely on an investment, and this is something I understand about, um, <coughs> there's fluctuations within the market. And um, the idea is for, to provide a, a basic floor through which no one can fall, then we have to have it be at least a stable amount that does not go below a certain level, um, no matter what, so that people don't have their lives thrown into chaos and instability on the turn of a, of a dime. Um, I wouldn't rule it out, but I wouldn't also say, let's not look at also including AVAT. And also on top of that, maybe um, including cutting, you know, the, the Pentagon budget, you know, uh, to help pay for it. Uh, just and, and also looking at, you know, the, the modern monetary theorist people, the MMT people, they like to say that, well, you know, the government can spend money in action by di digital keystrokes. Well, you know. Maybe we can look at, you know, if, if there's a dip in the market that would uh, result in the sovereign wealth fund um, affecting payout, we could look at, you know, other mechanisms to make sure that everybody's UBI doesn't go below a certain amount and that it, it keeps pace with the cost of living so that, you know, we don't ever have to, you know, we, we can look back on massive homelessness and, you know, the resurgence of medieval diseases like typhus and, and stuff that's rampant among the homeless community in, in California. Um, we can look back on those as the bad old days. You know, we've, we've been able to progress beyond that, and now we have a system that actually does provide a real floor through which no one can fall. That's the, the goal. So I don't think, you know, we should get into a, uh, we should only fund it one way but not another. I think we should look at all possible you know uh, doable solutions so that we we don't ever have our wheelhouse being empty if you get me i get it yeah that's that's a good, good thinking um maybe maybe i would suggest to add to your idea we could have a that based ubi which is truly a basic minimum income and then as a sort of further incentive to participate in our economy as a nation and our community as a nation we would have a sovereign wealth fund that would be a bit of a bonus it wouldn't be a basic income. It would be a sort of a, a discretionary, a universal discretionary income after it, your basic income. It's a universal so uh, capital gains dividend that's payable yeah, to everybody. That's what a dividend exactly. is. Right. So, so that that way, too. if the market does shit the bed, that we still have the VAT tax based basic UBI. But why not also own a piece of the nation? I think we should do both. That's a great yes. idea. I'm supposed to just moderate so I don't forget Liz again. I've got to go. <laughs> We're going to go to Mia. Mia, uh, what are your thoughts? So I agree with diversifying being a really good idea. Uh, my dad had a lot of egg-related analogies, and he would uh, probably say right here, don't put all your eggs in one basket, because, you know, you don't want something to happen to that basket, and then you are you got no eggs. Yeah. Pretty much just that. That's a good point. I agree. Um, Liz? Uh, so I, I'm going to agree with... James of the unspellable last name from Twitter in that this, I, I don't, 
while we obviously need to talk about a way to find the like to like where we would get the funds from um tying that conversation directly to ubi i i think makes it much trickier to actually have because how we talk about and understand a ubi is as a right so whether the money from a particular funding source that we have tied to it is there or not what has to be established is that people benefit from this right regardless it still so you has shouldn't to happen have, no matter what yeah so you shouldn't have that problem of all of a sudden it's not there and you've fallen through this whole um because it, it should be an established priority like whether this is just a way to fund the government like what we're talking about is a way to fund the government and the government is like what we're saying is they would have they would be required to pay this out regardless of whatever funding mechanisms are found for it like we are trying to establish this as a right for everyone regardless of all of that uh, if that makes sense it does well said very well said completely um that was great uh, i think we're gonna call it here we did five questions uh and a big long uh, extemporaneous introduction. It was lovely meeting you. I love you guys. I uh, look forward to doing this again with you all at the same time next week. And uh, I think on Monday I will be hosting Group B. So we'll try to respond Sweet. to the same, the same, the same questions. We'll have a, probably a meet and greet. And then uh, if all goes well, Ariel, you will be hosting Group C with me as a speaker. I'll help you get the hang of hosting. And uh, that'll happen in a week or two. I look forward. Looking I'll start working. So yeah, you, you guys are amazing. Um, look.